Gaming and BS episode 298 coming to you Monday, June 15th, 2020. Welcome to Gaming and BS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. The other guy. How you doing, folks? Glad to have you all here. <sighs> Get any gaming in, Sean? I did. I played some BX on Sunday morn. Yeah? Who were you running? Uh, Hobbs, you running? Who was Scott doing? Scott Hubs from was uh, he? Hubs. Hubs and, and OSR Pals. Yes. Hubs and the OSR Pals. Mr. Nice. Patron of the show. Was it good? Jason was Hobbs. It, was it a good time? It was a good time. Um, it, the, th- the plot thickens, as we say. There's a, uh, uh, there's a, so I came in a session late, um, and I was in a pit and I I was en route to check on my sister in a town where I have not heard from her in some time. And in en route, I got captured and thrown in a pit and the party, uh, they bust you out. They busted me out. Awesome. They knew me like I had been with them prior I got separated from them. So oh, they, nice. Okay, so they, they had a, other than, oh, hey, yes. guess what? New PC, better save Charlie. Like, oh, no, we know Charlie. So, yes. Better get Charlie out of the pit. So I, in the first session, uh, so that was it. And we kind of cleared out like a, a little bit of a little keep and then kind of rescued some prisoners. And, and, and I single-handedly defeated a monster. Nice. Like literally, man, I think I missed once and I did all the damage to the monster. And, and, and yeah. And I'm a rogue thief and like first level. And you level, normally can't roll for shit. <laughs> I can't roll for shit and I kicked its ass. And so then we decided to go into town and I say, hey, I got to talk to my sister. And then we met this constable asshole and we think like there's a cult and then there's there's stuff going on. And so now, you know, we go to the graveyard. There's an, a secret entrance in the graveyard that we find. And there's a house off to the side of the graveyard that's not occupied, but we the, the door is trapped. A chest is trapped, and then there's a body laying under the floorboards in lie. And with the clues in the house, it's essentially like we could deduct that it's some type of assassin, right? That the person's dead by a garret. Yep. Um, and there's poison being used. And so now we, that's where it's left off. So I think what's happening is that the town is being kind of warped like people are being fed propaganda and and okay some people are like i'm sure there's a cult in town and nice yeah some sort of horrible religious something or other yeah so we are that's it yeah that's what i did you play this weekend brett um not this weekend last week tuesday i had my avalon game with my home crew it's amazing what people forget is going on I, yeah. I, mentioned, I may have mentioned this before, that, and I'm like, at the end of it, I'm like, I think it's funny that you guys, there's two Penangalon horrible, you know, floating head vampires in the neighborhood. Yeah, we'll deal with that when we get to it. I'm like, you'll deal with it when you get to it. Oh, my God. <laughs> what I thought was like, the bad guy. Yeah, they kind of care, kind of don't. That's interesting. A lot of, oh, my God, this. Oh, wow, that did tie to that. Holy shit, that. Oh, yeah, the dungeon. We tried to go into session one. Fuck, that's where the bad guy's hiding. Oh, well, not the bad guy, but another bad guy. And it's just great. Just tons of pressure and lots of stuff going on. The clocks, I've I've set, like, every timer I have could get my hands on running. So we'll see what happens. 
they've got a really big plan to do something drastic and uh, massive and violent, <laughs> which is going to be a blast. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, and then AJ and Lana, we sat down and we made 7th edition Call of Cthulhu characters with the uh, quick start rules, went through that. And um, they had a lot of questions about how this works, how that works. Um, I had, I think I've said this before on the show, every once in a while as Game Masters, we, we give a description of something. And it's a horrible description, but it, it, we say it with such conviction. At one point, I had a spoon shaped exactly like a spoon. Those were the words I used to my kids. <laughs> and then Lana went, neat, dad? Um, and this time I was reading something like I wanted to, I said, let me directly quote this for you so you understand. Sanity, blah, 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 blah. And I said, sometimes if you see, you may have to check sanity if it's mundane, blah, blah, blah. And AJ's like, if it's mundane, we go crazy just looking at pencils. I'm like, I, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me reread that. <laughs> it totally slipped it. So that was a joke for like the last four days. It was, ah, it's the dog. Ah, you know, so the kids are having fun doing that to me. Ah. And then busting uh, the chops of the game master, you know, there's there's a time yeah. and place for that for sure. And I want to take it in good spirits so that they learn because it's going to happen back to them. <laughs> Everybody gets their turn in that barrel if you're running right. games. It's going to come around. Yeah. Um. In in the spirit of what we <laughs> what I bemoaned last episode, I did a lot of reading this weekend. <laughs> I didn't pull up my five e books yet because what I want to do next, um is uh, with my kids after this Call of Cthulhu thing, I want to run a BX game. So I ran, I read through the BX. They're just, they're two very skinny books. They're easy to read through. And, oh yeah, this is how combat works. This is how this works. And this is how surprise rounds work. And oh, neat. Got up to speed on a couple pieces there. And I have an idea for an Astonishing Swordsman Sorcery, Sorcerers of Hyperborea campaign for my home group. Or something slightly different using either the Astonishing Swordsman's rules or first edition. I started doing some compare and contrast between the two, looking up different rules and components. Surprised how much I remembered accurately from the first edition stuff. And um, one of the things that my crew really likes is skill lists and things that they can build and benefit from and so on. I'm like, yeah, they'll never play an old school game anymore. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. First and second edition both had proficiencies. You had, like, double proficiency. You had, like, weapon skills, weapon proficiencies, non-weapon proficiencies. I have, huh, let's see. I've got the Dungeon Survival Guide, Wilderness Survival Guide. That's got lists of stuff. Oh, my God. They want lists of shit. I got lists of shit. I can, I can load them up with stuff that they can, that every time they level up, the Pavlovian ding will happen, and they'll get to run off and add some more points to their sheet. Yeah, all right. I think I might be able to sell them on this, just as a... It was amazing how much I remembered from that and how much I'm like, oh, yeah, that's in this game. I bet 5e doesn't do this anymore. <laughs> so this next weekend will be a reread of 5e. I want to go through at least the PHB and tear through the, the core rules of it and make sure I'm not fucking something up horribly. <laughs> I, uh, I am. Oh, so. Something came up that I think was interesting in gaming. So my Tomb of Annihilation group that includes Jeff, the mighty Jeff. Are they dead yet? They're not dead. I think the next the next session will wrap it all up. Okay. I think it's it's going to be done after the next one. Oh, wait. And, hang on. Hang on. Jeff, don't listen. Spoiler, you think they're all going to die? Uh, or, do you, or do you think, or are they actually closing in on the last page of the module? Well, they, they know. I'm like, you guys, like... 
hopefully the next session you guys are done. Like there's, there's no, they see you reading through the book and they see the page. I told them like you're kind of at the end of the whole spiel. And and part of that was because I'm like, Hey, what are we going to play next? Got it. Okay. So so, fair. Okay. Moving on. So one of the guys said, Hey, what about playing face to face? Are you guys opposed to playing an outdoor game and then wearing masks and keeping everybody you know, apart from each other. And so uh, I bring that up only because things are what they are. And uh, I've seen people on Twitch now, tabletop role-playing gamers, they're they're live face-to-face. It's goofy. It's goofy because I understand all sides of it at some point. You know, the logical part of me is like, oh, my God, that's stupid. The other illogical i really want to see my friends in person and shake their hands and give them a hug is pretty strong too do i go by the fact that everybody says they're healthy right all of us have been good right i don't know i don't know man yeah i so i i thought that and so having said that one of the things i was going to start doing was taking roll 20 and putting in living force and seeing if they would want to play Living Force, which I've I ran for a couple of years, um, and I have all the modules, all the material. Oh, you dig that, man! And Jeff was in that campaign, so it's been so long. It's been God, ten, fifteen years, I think, by now. Um, so I may just dump all that stuff in there and run it Fantasy Flight Games Edition, and uh, running kind of. Well, so we'll see. I don't know, but it's it's interesting that somebody posed that in our group and said, "Hey, would you guys?" And everybody's like, "I don't, you know, I'm not. It's not a big deal to me." So I'm just wondering at like where that starts to creep into game groups. And- well, depending on what state you're in and what and what you want to, what you're reading, what you uh, honestly, what some people are believing or choosing to believe, and so on. Sometimes the states and townships are like, well, you know, ten people or less. Six people or less, right. hundred people or less, and I don't know, man. And so, and then always on top of that, you have to say what makes sense for us. Yeah, you know what is good for us. My my wife, I mean, so personal, you know, thing. My my wife's like, you're not going anywhere until 2021. So I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't know. And she's immune compromised, right? But uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. It's. And that's a battle I'm not going to fight. Like, that's just not. Well, speaking of, is that why you bought that one-wheel death trap? So, I, yeah. I uh, Well, so I don't. we don't have a motorcycle anymore, right? I got to get something. I got to do I got to do something. I, I run a little bit, but I'm far from being overly in shape. Um, and it's totally exhausting. So, yeah. I, I, I've been scoping this thing for a while, and I'm like, you know, this thing looks really Freaking fun! So I bought just a one wheel. Just tell me your wrist guards helmet, right? Knee pads. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll oh, put on uh, okay. at least Gear, the helmet. Just power yeah. range. Just power ranger up, man. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, so when I get it, I'm gonna send pictures to Brett and put it out online and say, "All right, Brett, you need to get one." So we could like go <sighs> be, go tearing around be on these stupid one wheels. Yeah. My goal is to be the oldest one wheel driver rider. All right. I, I don't think that's possible, but. Well, let, 20, me, let me just say sure. that you're my friend, and I love you. And if I get another phone call from you in the ER, I might drive there myself and murder you. So be careful. It'll be. Fu- I don't want to go to right. a doc. 
like in any capacity nowadays. Right. I'm just, yeah. I'm just telling you, be careful. Okay, I will. Don't you All die, right, Brad. As, as Boba Fett would say, you're no good to me dead. That's true. Because if anybody's seen the forums, you see all the shit Sean goes through to produce this fucking thing. I can't do that on my own. Hey, man, I've had a lot of good luck lately. I know. Uh, hey, hey. Thanks, COVID. Hey. Huh? Right? <laughs> yeah, there we hey. go. Yeah, all right. Had my Jeep broken into again, but that's not a big oh, deal. Jesus Christ. Yeah. All right, we're going to get away from that. It'll get yeah. crazy. Let's get all right, let's, let's random encounter. Random yeah, encounter. let's get into random encounter. Random Encounter, a segment of the show, voicemails, emails, comments from social media. We've got a voicemail from no other than... Chris Shorb. The Shorb. Which is good because people are already sick of us talking, so let them listen yeah. to somebody cooler. Yeah, can these guys... Yeah, okay. Here we go. Brett, um, it's Chris Shorb calling in after the most recent episode, which was... I don't even remember what it was titled, but it's, uh, it was a great episode. Uh, first thing, Sean, you probably heard about it. Actually, you know what? I'll just send it to the forum. I'll send you a DM on the forum, but... I really wanted to talk about what Brett, Brett got all depressed, and I didn't think it was a reason for depression. I thought it was actually an incredible revelation. I've always wondered about homebrew rules, but, like, why do people have to homebrew the rules? You've bought a game. It's got a set of rules and procedures. Play that game. But I even do that homebrewing. Sometimes it's like you guys found out with 5e. Like, we've been doing this. We've been doing this delayed turn thing from 4e where you get to move down in the initiative, and then someone finally read the actual ready-to-action rules and realized we were doing it totally wrong. That's just one of many examples, just like you guys have cited. But what I really liked was Brett realizing that it's his gaming style that's influencing why he creates house rules. And I think that is such a great, a great self-reflective realization. And I started to think about, okay, what is my gaming style, and in what ways does that influence how I alter or change procedures and rules in the course of a role-play game that I'm running. And so I think that that's a whole episode on what is your gaming style, how to figure out your gaming style, and then knowing that, how does that influence how you, in turn, run a game and how you talk to people about your game so that they are aware of, you know, what to expect based on your style as a GM. I don't know. I thought that was just a great episode, great realization, great episode topic for future thanks hi guys yeah thanks chris as always you know i never thought about it quite like that when i said that little piece there but chris that's going to hopper actually that might be next week's man that's a pretty that's that's pretty cool i mean just thinking about and we've talked about this before sometimes self-reflection is really important and um which is why i'm like god damn and it was kind of depressing for me like ah fuck i thought i knew what i was doing and that's when I went, oh, Jesus Christ, I have no idea what I'm doing. Which, honestly, anybody who's doing any, a creative hobby or a creative endeavor of any kind, and gaming is definitely creative, you have these moments of doubt, like, ah, Christ, what did I do wrong this time? Or I can't believe I have been doing blah backwards or whatever. Yeah, I think it's. I think that's definitely worth looking into. I think people should, should talk about it, think about it, because um, it's more than... Yeah, in Brett's game, you know, characters die, man. Oh, boy, he he does this, that, or the other thing. Oh, Sean always, uh, Sean doesn't like rolling these dice, so he always makes you do it or, or whatever. I mean, th- those are quirks. We talk about like a like a game master's quirk or a, or a thing they like to do, a trick they've learned, or uh, Brett always stands when he runs and he gesticulates wildly and jumps around, which is a thing I do if you ever see me in a con. It's a thing I do. Oh, that's, that's Brett's style. That's... That's an affectation tacked on to the style, you know? 
So it's kind of like, you know, Sean's got the pompadour hair usually when he's going out in public. <laughs> That's an affectation onto the style that is Sean, right? Yeah. I so, don't think that carries over to my play, though. I, well, my, no, no, no. my hair is much more neater than the, play, <laughs> the way I play neater. a role-playing game. <laughs> But that's a style thing, right? We've talked about that. You know, good player, bad player, what we like, what we don't like. I think it's uh this is a cool topic, Chris. Thank you. I, I appreciate that you that you gathered something out of my depression, my bummed outness there and pulled a little nugget out. So thanks, man. That was cool. Thank you, Chris, as always. So I'll read the next one since this is a correction on me. And this is what drove me nuts on the last episode where I was like, God uh, man. Yeah. So Michael Dinos, as he vehemently yells at his podcatcher that Sean could not, for a life of him, <laughs> think of what game publisher puts out some of these kick-ass games, Free League. Free League, right? Yeah. They're the ones that do Tales from the Loop. They've done some of the other ones. So he says, Alien, Mutineer Zero, Tales from the Loop, Forbidden Lands, and several others are published by Swedish publisher Free League. Not Modifius, although Modifius does not does do retail distribution. Um, That's I, where I got confused. That's where I yes, get confused. Yes. yes, there's a lot of those not wacky, but these little partnerships that are connected in there. Yes, I forget. Yes, good, good, same good here. Stuff. Obviously, so I've been a huge fan of of Free League products for many years now. Since Mutant Zero Zero was translated to English, their products are absolutely fantastic, and everyone should have a couple FL products on their bookshelves. And no, I do not work for them. It was annoying me all episode 297. That's all. Overall, y'all do a great job, but it's Free League. Congrats on hitting 298. Um, a gameable, gameable moment. New York Post reading of Mayan calendar suggests end of the world is next week. <laughs> he puts in a link to that. I did uh, I, I did see that. I think Wayne yeah. Humphrey shared yeah. that out around Facebook, too. I saw it where somebody went, hey, it looks like, you know that 2012 thing? We can't do math. And it should actually be like next week or something. Well, that's why not. Yeah. After the new age starts, uh, are you starting at episode one or episode two ninety nine? He says. So I just threw that out there because I, I it was driving me crazy and I could not remember free league and I was like, I'm sh so there, proof that somebody's going. Oh my god. <laughs> Just free league, free league, free say league. free league, say free league, <laughs> free, free league, free. Say it, say it, Sean. I know it's right there. Free. No. Oh, I got to write in. Once again, this further proof that BSers are smarter than BS. All right. <laughs> Thank you very much, Michael. Yes. Over to Edwin. Writes in on focus. Back to old school DM and DM Kojo. I in, I teach engineering. For the past few years, I've had the great fortune to co-teach with an excellent English professor. One of the more important ideas he brought to me is that at any one time, <coughs> excuse me, a student can either focus on how she, he is writing or what she, he is writing. On how or what. Oh, nice. If uh, we want students to write about difficult subjects, the subject, the students, excuse me, the students need an opportunity to think about the subject deeply without worrying about writing. Bullet points, outlines, thought diagrams, etc. All serve this purpose. Conversely, we want students to write well. It's most effective if they can write about something they know well. This brings about the old argument about how to construct a sandwich. <laughs> Very true. Only after a student has done both separately should we ask the student to do, this, do them at the same time. Recently, I had the revelation that I'm coming to think of myself as a teacher rather than, than an engineer. I spend more time thinking about how to teach than how to engineer. 
most of the topics I teach, I know inside and out, although I too occasionally have to reread the rules. <laughs> this allows me to focus on how best to present them. A game master has to think simultaneously about how to present the game, narrative, beats, pulling focus, etc., and the game itself, the mechanics. We can't learn both at the same time any more than a student can learn to write while learning about deconstructionist theology. Brett was prepping for a COC game with his kids and focused on the rules. Brett doesn't have to think about timing, voices, etc. for a game with his kids, at least not for this game with his kids. He's focused on the rules, we use his ex existing narrative abilities without trying to improve them. Sean has been talking about his mothership game. His focus has been on applying pressure, when, how, how much. He's focusing on how to present the game and not on increasing his mastery of the game. The takeaway is that I believe we need to go back and forth if we want to improve, that we probably need to spend more time on the one we don't like because it's probably, because probably, <laughs> probably pretty good at the one we do. Good point. Sometimes we focus on running a game using the chase mechanics and don't worry about whether the pacing is good. Other sessions, we focus on cranking up the tension and let the rules slide. After doing each separately enough times, we can run a high-tension chase using the rules. Kisses, keep it simple, stupid. Edwin. That's good stuff, man. I've had a number of different conversations with Edwin over the, over the years. In person, we've been fortunate enough to to have him at, um, at GameHulk on. Super great guy. Um, I cry out loud. Every BSer I've ever met has been awesome. But I like this. I like this thought. It is it is interesting how, yeah, it's kind of like, can you do both at the same time? Probably not up front. And I think what the other piece here is, I know on occasion we have listeners, uh, new folks who are new to the gaming scene or thinking about game mastering and are nervous about it. And Sean and I will stumble, fumble around and try to help that person bolster them up and say, you can do it. We love you. You got this. And while all that is true, what I'm talking about here is keep in mind exactly what Edwin just said, right? If you want to figure out how to game master, you're not going to be able to do it all at once. You know, you want to do voices. You want it. You want. You have this vision in your head of what the perfect game would be. Oh, I want to be able to have some cool NPC voices. I want to be able to play music in the background. I want to have all these figs built. I want this really cool map. I want handouts. Oh, yeah, and I want to make sure I do all the rules correctly. That's a lot. There's a lot, a lot of stuff. Focusing on the small pieces first, you know, focus on one thing. Once you've got that, then you can move on to the next bit. This almost goes to our practice discussion, too, where you've got to go back and forth like this, working on things you're not necessarily that good at to come back at it. And quite frankly, based on my um, revelation <laughs> from last game set, sometimes, you know, it's what are the rules of the game I'm actually playing versus all the rules I've played before and you know, what, what, what's my style and why am I ignoring something or whatever. But I like this, Edwin. This is very thoughtful and uh, pretty deep. I like it, man. This was good. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Edwin. Very good stuff. All right. Mr. Crapper, Todd Crapper of Broken Ruler Games. Free the, plug, Todd. The one and only. Writes in on applying pressure. How do, lads? Just finished listening to the two-parter on applying pressure, and a thought occurred during the second episode. A successful staple of horror films has been hinting at a possible source of danger, tension, or heightened drama, and then moving on with the story until, bam! It hits at the worst possible time. For example, while exploring a spooky old house, one of the characters steps on a creaking stair, or it cracks. Nothing bad happens at that moment, and we move on. Until that same person runs back down the stairs to escape the serial killer, and BAM! 
Their foot falls right through, and they're stuck. Foreshadowing. Good stuff. Yeah. One of the issues with relying on dice and mechanics for tension is that it's almost always instantaneous in the game and expected the minute that d20 rolls a 1. Whereas turning some of those failed rolls into bad stuff happens points that are piled at the GM side may help offer up more timely tension when you want it rather than when you're told it must happen now. Plus, it takes away from some of the swing and miss bullshit that can actually steal tension. Now a failed roll becomes a wait-and-see moment that could blow up in the PC's faces at any moment. Like now. No, wait. Now. Maybe <laughs> something handy for your mothership game, Sean, though it's not something I have yet to try myself. Anywho, insert standard compliments to your work on the show here and star wipe. Me out. P.S. If the person who reads this doesn't actually shout, BAM! May you feel my persistent consternation at such a missed opportunity. Now cue the train sound effect to play me out. And remember, do you say train? (laughs) Now cue the train sound effect to play me out. And remember, drinking while you send a message to one of your favorite podcasts is how you make friends or enemies. Either way, Todd out. That... I like what he said there, and it's the foreshadowing. We haven't talked about foreshadowing in depth, and I'll have to be another one for the hopper. But I like that that uh, call-out, the staple to the horror film, right? That that piece of foreshadowing. A lot of movies and stories and other things do use foreshadowing. It can be very tricky to do in a role-playing game. I think um, Todd calls out really well with the, you know, the, the instant. I roll a die, I expect a result. It is interesting because unless the rules specifically state that the result has to happen then, you can say, okay, I failed. Yep. Is something bad happening? Eventually. Oh, well, shit. That, <laughs> that can happen in the Star Wars FFG yeah, Genesis I was just gonna, I was just yeah. going to say, that's, yeah. the, that's the wonderful part about the... More PDTA. heavily narration games. PDTA, um, yep. Yeah, where you where you say a thing like, that's ah, going to bite me. Yes, it will. You know, yep. where it's you're kind of building up, building up. And games when you have bennies or tokens sliding across and you see, wow, Game Master's got a lot of those bennies out there. We haven't earned a whole lot yet. Oh, this, is, this can't be good, kids. You know, you see the dark side points flowing across the screen. Um, yeah. The Game Master and all that. I like that. Those, um, that's fun because you know it's the the Damocles thing, right? That sword is just hanging over you by a hair, waiting, and you just, oh my god, it's gonna fall, it's gonna fall, it's gonna fall. Especially in a game when you talk about tension and mothership and so on. Yeah, I like that. That's a good. That's a good call out, Todd. I like that idea because if you fail, do you have to have the unexpected bad stuff happen right now? Even if the rules say it must happen right now, do you, as the game master, again from a style perspective, the the mood you're trying to do? Do you say, you know what? I'm going to take that bad stuff and I'm going to slide it a little bit. I'm going to keep that in my hopper. I'm going to make a note here that says bad stuff counter. When it hits five, I drop a brick on these assholes. <laughs> when it says two, I do this or whatever it is. You know, if you accumulate so many, does something happen? I am positive, positive, positive. There's a game system out there that does something exactly like I just said. I have no idea what that game system is. Sours! Well, not just that. Well, you don't count, you don't add up the number of failures and then use them in a later date, do you? Well, so so you it, the destiny pool goes back and forth. Okay, yes, so that, yes, that's that, that component. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, Brett, one thing that you because you haven't run that game, so 
one of the things that can I can't occur, run the game when I'm standing on the ship. I, I, we, we know that there's there's not en- there's not enough action on the ship to then <clears throat> carry on. So when you when you roll a threat, because mm-hmm. the players do much of the rolling in that game, correct? And you succeed on the check. Okay, so you succeed. So say for example, Brett's the pilot. Star Wars. We've established that long-standing rule. Yes, Brett is pilot in Star Wars. And Brett is going to dock uh, in Cloud City, and he his his papers may be out of order, but you know he's going to try to fake the funk anyway. He makes a roll. He succeeds in getting through the check. Right? Yep. You you bribe the people to es- like allow you to land, but you have a threat. So oh. as as a game master, got it. Right. Yep, you're cleared to land. Brett lands. I get to keep that threat as a game master. Now, I could implement that threat right there and then if I wanted to, but a good, like I wouldn't say good, but a different game master may say, I've got that threat. And Brett could say, oh, shit. And just sit there and I go, yep, I got it. So eventually. He goes, gets the the authorization and lands, air quotes authorization, and lands, but that threat is going to come and bite him in the ass, which means maybe there's somebody that's standing there and goes, well, does this code check out? Well, no. It's, it's an old code, sir, but we're going to allow it. Right. But in this case, it would be, no, his code's no good, um, and it traces back to this. And that person says, oh, I don't want to run them off right now, so give them the clearance to land. Yeah, because I got a phone call to make to Mr. Hutt. Yeah, or whoever, yeah. and then we're going to get him out of the ship yeah. on the land, and then we're going to surround him. And then so we'll take the deal. Yeah. In the Star Wars FFG and Genesis system, specifically, those are, th- but you, a good game master should use that moment in time to actually threaten the character. And it can be down the road, but it should be based on that. Based on the event. The event, yes. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is that the the idea of tallying up a certain number of failures and then using them at some given point within that session, I think there's a there's a nearness or a distance between failure and the threat occurring, where the foreshadow happens and then the smack occurs, whatever that is. That impact has to happen within a reasonable amount of time, because if you're like, well, three sessions ago, right. you guys had five threats. I finally decided. Right now, during the big climactic battle, y'all fucked, because here's 16, blah. That's a little, not quite the same. Right. I like what you're talking about, though. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you, Todd. Good stuff, man. Yeah, Todd, thanks. Bam! Bam! Bam, 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 (laughs) bam! All right. Charlie emails us. Back in November 2019, I wrote an email to the show asking for tips on helping friends get into RPGs that mean to provide a follow-up email. I have a friend who likes gaming, but he has had some apprehension about playing a tabletop RPG like 5th edition. I ran a one-shot for him and some other friends, which ended up lasting two sessions. The first session was a little rough, but he got into his character by the second session. By the end of the second session, he was having enough fun to commit to having me run a longer campaign for the whole group. I've been running a campaign based upon the Ghost of Saltmarsh book, and everyone is really enjoying it. Strangely enough, my friend is very comfortable using Roll20, even more so than I am. I think he likes the ease of just clicking a button and having the dice roll for him and add the appropriate modifiers. He's an IT guy by profession, and he can program macros and do all sorts of things that I can't. Dude, my friends are doing this to me all the time. My Roll20 game. Um, 
This got me thinking how the pandemic could easily, excuse me, the pandemic could possibly usher in a wave of new players to a hobby via playing on virtual tabletops. While I prefer playing in person, I have no objections to any arrangement that gets new players into gaming and enjoying themselves. Listening to your podcast, podcast, good Lord, apparently not listening to me mispronounce every word you got here, Charlie, sorry. Listening to your podcast helps me become a better game master, and I'm very grateful for that. Now to address the elephant in the room, the status of Jeff's paladin. And one of Jeff's co-workers and Jeff texts me after gaming sessions to report his paladin is still alive. This leads me to two obvious conclusions. Either A, Jeff is too talented of role player and Sean is unable to kill him off due to Jeff's superior skills. Or B, Sean has grown, grown so attached to Jeff's paladin, he's unwilling to kill something he loves. Charlie. That's it. It's, is it the second one? That's it. Charlie, I'm going to kill Jeff's paladin on the next session. I just, I'm just going to do it. Alleviate that question and answer right now. All right. That's just it. The, the capricious will of the Sean. Jeff, you have died. Carry on. You're done. <laughs> don't think I could do it, Charlie. You don't think I got it in me? I don't know. I'll so show you, Charlie. I'll show you, Charlie. I'll kill my <laughs> friend's character. I'll show this. I'll show Charlie by killing my friend's character. It's terrible. Yeah. Who's Charlie? Who's, who's a hole supreme in that situation? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> that's bad. Hey, Charlie. Though, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, we're helping you. If if that's indeed true, that's very awesome, man. So thank you much. And I'm glad that you've got a chance to run run the game. Have it last a couple sessions. I honestly think first time players by the end of the first session the first session can be a little rocky but it's like by the end of the session they finally got the groove man they're like wow i know what this d20 is for i know what this pyramid dies for i know what my character can do and usually in my experience if you've had any modicum of luck and success the new players are like wow they're remembering the good stuff yeah the clunky stuff was at the beginning when they couldn't remember things but there was enough combat and stress and pressure and cool things to do that they want to relive and have more of that cool stuff. So first one's free, kids. <laughs> awesome, Charlie. Very glad you're doing it. And uh, as I alluded to, yeah, I got buddies of mine. I was having trouble trying to figure something out. My friend's like, oh, I got a macro for that. Clickety, click, click, bam. And it says, I pickpockets, motherfucker. It's what's like, it's, I'm like, how did you get it to do that? Why is it doing that? You're a dick. Yeah, my friends are assholes. But anyway, carry on. Over to you, Sean. John writes in about skill piling. Hey, fellers, regarding skill piling, it's not an issue in the game systems I tend to use, Genesis and Cortex, some PBTA, because every time players pick up the dice, there's a chance something bad could happen. If the players want to risk something bad, they're always free to pick up the dice and roll. And if there's no real chance of something bad, I don't make them roll. I just give them what they're trying to get. Pax, John. There is short a P and succinct. It is short and succinct. And John, one of the things I like about Genesis and uh, going to the uh, the Star Wars thing that that I've that I've had a chance to play, and the little bit of PBT I've had is when you roll the dice, the possibility of something bad narratively happening, and and that it's there. There is no oh I failed. I didn't find the I didn't find the the widget. The what's it remained hidden. I couldn't pick the lock. Move on. That type of failure in that game is incredibly uninteresting, and nobody does it. In D&D, &D, we talk about it in newer editions of the game. If I'm remembering my 5e correctly, it even talks about, hey, don't you know? You don't have to do roll for everything all the time forever at, at infinitum. But 
I, I think that that's a core piece of those games that when you're doing that thing, if somebody picks up the dice to roll, everyone goes, hold on. Dave rolled dice. All right, Dave. Let's see what you risk there, big guy. Oh, look at that. You failed. Bad things are happening. I mean, that's that's integral to it. It's not like, oh, I didn't see the smoke on the hill. Big deal. No, it's it's a much bigger deal than that, right? It's similar to, I was explaining this to my kids with Call of Cthulhu and Trail of Cthulhu and so on. You don't have to roll dice sometimes for certain things because it just makes sense. You describe what you're doing, whatever. If you're rolling the dice, yeah, that's uh, I like that aspect of those games. And I think that's a piece that I think I narratively do or natively as part of my style, try to drag into my games. But uh, when it's a part of the game, mechanic-wise, I think it probably flows a little bit better. Good stuff, though, John. Thank you. Short and punchy. I like it. Yeah, thanks, John. All right. Angela writes in about one campaign being different from another. Hey, Brett and Sean, I'm back. <laughs> Getting myself caught up on episodes. I want to comment on running the same campaign for different groups. <laughs> and just great people. Good to hear from her. Yeah, I'm, I hope she's doing well. I think yes. I'm friends with her on Facebook. I, but yeah, it's good it to hear been, from her. Yeah, it is. I do agree that running a con game for one shot or multiple groups is different, but it's a good practice for GMs to do. It teaches you which hooks work the way you expect and the way they don't, along with how different players handle different things. As you said, though, with a campaign, the further you get into it, the more it's going to di- diverge from what happened with the previous group. Your prepared material is going to become less and less useful if you don't have a way to account for Group B going in a completely different direction than Group A. I recently revived a short campaign in exactly this way. It was Knights Black Agents campaign I did for some online friends a few years ago. When the pandemic hit, we all had to switch to gaming online. My friend that had been jamming had to bow out because he worked for the county health department and wasn't going to have the bandwidth to prep his game anymore. Ugh, Lord. So I dug this game out of the archives and offered to run it. First couple of sessions went about the same between the groups. Sent in to check on a group of agents that failed to check in. Both groups sussed out clues, reacted to the same, this about the same to the video footage of a monster murdering people, tracked down a kidnapped agent to a warehouse, warehouse fight was almost the same, but things started to, to diverge. By the time they got to the third session, both groups were at the same location, Vienna State Opera House, but things were wildly different. Four session ones even recognizable between the two games. <laughs> it was a good gap filler for my gaming group, but I'm not sure I will try and revive a campaign like that again, Ange. Huh. So she's going back to the, the campaign episode that we talked about. Yeah. We're running one campaign and expecting it to be similar to the running it again is usually not going to happen. And I think what's interesting, the fact that Ange pulled it out, like, hey, I have a campaign. I can run this thing. I know it. I know it really well. We can run yeah, it. And sure. her being as good a game master as she's like, oh, you did something different. You diverged. Should just shift, right? Should just slide over, move groove figure things out and i think sometimes if you have two good groups that you're doing this with and you're having fun doing it it can be interesting sometimes to to see i wonder if this will happen i wonder if you almost get to because you know quote unquote what should happen based on what happened before and now it's like this retelling of that story it's kind of like the first time somebody watches your favorite movie reads a really cool book and you're waiting for them to tell you when they get to chapter five, when the reveal happens. So, uh, did you find out who uh, so-and-so is yet? What do you mean? Oh, nothing, <laughs> nothing. Come tell you, know, you want to talk to me when you find that out. And that's pretty cool. So I think that's uh, that's kind of cool. 
yeah, I think that I think that would be the reason to bring it out. Is I would have two really good groups I was super tight with. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna pull this out. Two different crews. Let's see how this variation of the story goes, right? Is it the Rankin and Bass version of The Hobbit? Or is it Peter Jackson's three movie, What the Fuck of the Hobbit? You know, hard to say. Thank you, Ange. Good to hear from you again. Yeah, thanks, Ange. All right. We're going to do this main topic or what, man? Let's do it. I think we can finally get to one today. Finally get to it. Main topic! All right, so what we wanted to talk about last time was implementation about counting gear, rations, and so on. And we had previous episode, uh, we had some people write in about some really good options and game systems that did stuff. Uh, the Black Hack. We'll call that out again just as kind of a, hey, if you haven't checked it out, it's cheap. It's on drive through. Go through our affiliate link. Get, it, get yourself a copy and see how you like it. Um, one of the things that we were that we talked about, and this is kind of a, let's assume you've got the crew in. Excuse me, the crew says, all right, we're going to do this. The game group wants to do it. They want to track some stuff. They want to keep track of things. The game master thinks it'll be cool. It's an exploration. All the right reasons are there. You've got the buy-in. Now it's going to come down to the execution because if this execution goes for shit, everyone will they'll just shit can it. That's what's going to happen, right? So one way, kind of the traditional way, at least in, in my opinion, how I always did it, Sean, maybe you did it this way too, was if you have arrows, food, and whatever, every time you shoot an arrow, go tick. Roll to see if you collect your arrow. Every time you throw a sling stone, gone. Every time you break a sword, mark it off. Every time you sleep, you track, you track, you track. It can be uh, basically the player does their own bookkeeping. That's how you did it as well back in the yeah, day. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think I ever kept track of anything of the player characters. Unless it was something that they, it was an item that they took that had something special about it. I would list it. Yeah, Brett, Brett has cursed sword. Jeff has potion of poison, thinks it's healing, waiting for Paladin <laughs> to drink it. And hasn't identified <laughs> it, you know. Or they get like key or something like that. Like, oh, we get a key. And I'm like, okay, I got a note where that's to and what it's in reference to. So when they say, hey, I pull out that key we got three months ago. Does it fit? And then you go, what room <laughs> did you get that from? Yeah. Right. <clears throat> so one of the ways that the game master helps in that regard is when, when it is, when a day goes by, and we're talking rations, food, water, and so forth. If the players are indeed keeping track of the, on their own is you say, okay, that's a day. Make sure you mark off. That's the, the thing to say, because sometimes we all get distracted. We all lose track of what's what. Somebody doesn't mark it off. And somebody's like, oh, we only got three days worth of food left. And Brett goes, I got five days. What the fuck? Ah, uh, dude, is it five or four? Should it be four? Have I marked off one too many? <clears throat> then you're backtracking, backtracking, pain in the ass. Oh, I thought you were going to go to the, wait a minute, you got five days. You bastard, you've been stealing food. <laughs> How would you get your food, <laughs> So one of the, I, I guess where I'm coming from is that if the players are tracking that component, on my side, if you want to kind of go old school, what I've always taken on the burden as a GM then is I track the calendar. If whatever the fantasy d d days are or if it's the space days or whatever, it's been one moon unit, 16 star days, one, you know, space calendar day, whatever, fuck ever. Don't know. Don't care. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I track that. So like, and I keep a running tally in my notes. 
in the spreadsheet, however I choose to do it. But I keep that and I update it physically every time. All right, mark this. And that way I can see how it's going. When I keep track of the first time I ran an Avalon campaign, um, I have a calendar for my Avalon setting. And I would say day whatever, month of the this, year of the rat or whatever, how, whatever time period it was, year of the griffin or whatnot. And we would go through and I would put the notes up in the wiki we were using day three, day four, day five, and just bits and pieces, bits and pieces. And the new Avalon campaign, I forgot like a dumbass to pick a day, but I've just gone session, 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 and roll 20 to say session one notes, two, three. We've played eight sessions, so there's eight notes. And each session is approximately a day, about 24 hours worth of in-game time. And that's about what we accomplish because we only play from seven to about nine, nine thirty at night. Um, so that works out. But anyway, I think if you're going to do it that type of old school, I think the best thing the game master could do to, instead of going, Hey, you've been sleeping for at least 10 days. You should have had, you should be out of food by now. It's on you to say, I've tracked all the days. Here's where they are. Or I've tracked the number of rests you've taken and so on. Um, the other thing that I would do in those cases as a player if I was going to keep track of that stuff, I took it upon myself to basically either make an, a tally sheet of some sort, you know, just to tear off a piece of scratch paper, or one I'd tack on the back of my character sheet that would say 30 arrows, one, two, three, four, five, six. Mark them all off, something that you can do to keep track of it. And you have to be, to get in the spirit of things, you have to pay attention. It's, you can't, I forgot. Ah, oh, yeah, shit, I forgot. How many arrows did I shoot? And that's a piece where players together and then Game Master as well, because Game Master is just a specialized player at the table, can say, hey, don't forget to mark your arrow down. Yes, I mark my damn arrow down. Nothing wrong with saying that, and we shouldn't be angry at each other. But when I shoot and shoot and shoot, Sean should be like, you shot like four crossbow bolts. Did you mark those down? Oh, yeah, crap. Yeah, you're right. Thank you. Thank you. Because the heat of combat happens, right? Cheater. Cheater, bastard. Um, Have you ever done this, Sean? Now, that's like old school, very manual, everybody figures their own kind of way out. Have you done anything like someone else keeps track of stuff? Like one party member tracks all the food, one party member tracks this. We used to have a party treasurer when it came down to the gear, you know, because when you'd find that portable hole and you'd fill it full of plus one swords and plus two flame tongues you didn't really need. You didn't play those games, huh? Anyway. <laughs> What kind of shit are you running over there, Brett? I wasn't running. It was I, I never. I didn't run those games. What kind of, kind of games you participated? Uh, I don't know. They were the just crazy. It was just an orgy of magic and treasure. Just rolled around it and made little <laughs> treasure angels. Um, <laughs> the treasure tables are awesome. The old they DMG. were awesome. Just yeah. roll on everything. Twenty oh, thousand uh, copper pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty thousand copper pieces. Son of a bitch. How do you get all that portable hole? Okay. No, seriously, we would have a party treasurer. Did you ever have anybody um, take care of just party gear or of any kind like that when you were calculating? Was anybody keeping track of food or party stuff? Not not gear, not nothing outside of treasure. It was always treasure, treasure and maybe some extra swag. Like, But, you know, if it was too much, like if, well, we've came across the a cache of weapons and, you know, five long swords, two short swords, five daggers. Like, we didn't carry that crap, and we usually would leave it. Um, worst case scenario, we'd write it down and then maybe go back for it, but that usually never happened either. But, no, yeah. usually it's it's gold and gems. So I think you take that 
party treasure list and then you can flip it, right? right? You can say somebody's keeping track of the stuff, whatever that is. You you could divide that out, especially if what you're really concerned about is food and water. If you decide, look, I don't give two shits about tracking every arrow and every fucking sling bullet we throw. I don't really want to track every bullet. I just want to keep track of the big stuff. Um, food, water. The other piece that happens, I think, is that if even if you generalize kind of bucketize it a little bit more. Let's say you say, I have um, 15 days worth of food and water. Okay, what does that consist of? Well, it's it's MREs and canteens or a potable water container in the back of the Humvee or whatever whatever you've got stashed. However, you know, your, your space Humvee has all the space water in it, whatever. Um, you can do the same thing. A lot of games, I shouldn't say a lot, but I know enough games do similar things with ammo. You could say, I have spare ammo. Right. Some games will say you shoot, you shoot, you shoot until a failure occurs or something bad happens. The game master says you're out of bullets. Oh, son of a bitch. You know, you ran short. So someone can say I have enough for five reloads of the nine millimeter. I got enough for 10 reloads of the 45. I got 16 grenades kind of bucketize things depending on what you're doing. Um, and then it can come down to a list that it's like a master treasure list for somebody believe it or not um most games i have run somebody is always very happy to keep a list of all the gear if it's like communal stuff um most groups i have played with over the years even through high school till now one of my kids like oh i'll I'll keep a treasure list they want to write this stuff down because it's cool to have the list and they're important it's a role that they have for the group is like hey do we have any of this all eyes turn towards alana she goes yes we have four four of those things in the cart oh good to know so um, the other piece you can do is if you bucketize things like adventuring gear, D&D does this, other games do it with adventuring packs, like a Dungeoneer's pack or Burglar's kit. Um, you could assign a number of uses to them, right? So you say, I have X number of adventuring stuff, and I can dig into my adventuring pack, which has rope, pythons, small hammer, flask of oil, etc., it just has this stuff, generalized stuff in it. So when you need it, and you may, it, it may break the verisimilitude in a way, right, Sean? Where if you say, hey, Brad, I reach in, I grab yet another flask of oil from my adventuring gear. It kind of doesn't matter in a way, right? Because what the idea is you're just watching the resource dwindle. Does that make sense to you? Yep. Yes, it does. Um, and I know people have bucketized medical kit stuff, too. You know, medical gear, I've got bandages enough for this, I've got enough for that, 16 treatments or something. Just trying to keep it in large, large numbers. I think the biggest piece comes down to, no matter how you bucketize it or group it or whatever, somebody somewhere has to keep track of it. And I think this is one of those cases where the players and the game master need to share the burden on some level. Does this make sense to you? Yep. Yeah. How um, is there a way that you've done it in the past that you like to do it or that you've been thinking about doing this type of thing? Because we've, we've chatted about, hey, we want to do this. Is there something that's come to your mind like, hey, here's here's how I'm going to do it? Or you've got any out of the box ideas? If I did it and the system didn't support it out of the box and there wasn't a mechanic for it, I would probably um, get a character sheet. Like, where are you going to keep track of this stuff on your character sheet? Most character sheets don't even have this stuff built into it. Like, you know, there's not the days of the fill in the dots. 
for using X or Y. And then I would probably want a copy of the sheet after it, maybe. And the only, and it's not because I wouldn't trust the players. It's because I would want to see where they're at with things so that if they are low on something, I can give them the opportunity to replenish it uh, in some capacity. So I don't want to be dick gm where it's like oh you're running out of water he he ha ha and oh by the way there isn't water anywhere to be found for three days and hey you're gonna just you're gonna it's eventually you're gonna die you're gonna die yeah yeah so it would be more or less say hey you realize or you understand or you know the weather it starts to rain and you can now oh god it's raining okay we need to collect some water somehow so that we don't dehydrate ourselves and die of dehydration so it, it would be only for that reason and that would maybe how I'd go about doing it. One other way you could do it in the, in this spirit of what we're talking about is you could give people, like they could have index cards or you can get item cards. And that's kind of the deal. And that's what you have. And you you want to eat some food, you put in a food card or whatever. And you're keeping track and you actually have a tangible thing that you're tactile Yeah, you could turn, you could turn that into... I mean, we've talked about the black hack. You've got dice, right? So you 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 use something, you might go down a dice step, like from a D eight to a D six to a four, and then gone. Um, you could do it in the Benny's poker chips perspective. Everybody has sixteen of these, and when you're done, you're out of food and water. Oh, neat! When you go to the Oasis, it gives you tick tick tick. Oh, I got three more foods and waters. Neat. Um, that's doable. You could get even more more noodly and have you know. One for food, one for water, so on and so forth. But it, having a tactile thing like that, the other thing that would do, I like the idea of the cards too, because when you see a stack of a thing and you're holding it in your hand, it's like if you have played the board games, the card games that are very resource intensive, you're holding two of a thing. You're like, oh my God, there's three more rounds left. I don't know if I can make it. That's That says something. And it's harder to ignore something like that. That's the tchotchke at the table, right? The the piece of kit that sits there and glares at you and says, hi, I'm the only, you know, white dice on the table, which you're using to measure how much food and water you have. And there's only two of us. And you know you're five days out. You know? So I think that's actually pretty cool from... I get less worried about the type of gaming unit I've been talking about in this in this venue or it's not venue in this, in this, uh, mode is more around survival and just keeping track of food and, and some of those necessities and so on. I think having that stuff on the table would actually be pretty interesting because it would add a visual representation, kind of like the, kind of like the block, the Jenga type tower for dread, right? This visual representation of a thing that's going to happen eventually, if you don't take care of it in some way, shape or form, how am I going to deal with this thing? Cause you're just watching it go down, you know? It'd be interesting. It would be, it would be kind of fun if if you had a three D printer, but or does. whatever. <laughs> yeah, like some people do, and you printed up little not chips uh, necessarily, but like miniature. Like if you like like ca- small leg of chicken, small <laughs> well, and maybe not a leg of chicken, but you would have like a platter, and on that platter you would have like a tanker to ale, a big like mutton chop or whatever. <laughs> And, and you would have that on there, and that's like one ration. And then you take all those, and you put it in a little pouch, like a dice bag. Yeah. And then you go, here, here, players, like this is your stuff. And then as they go, well, I'm going to go to the market, I'm going to buy some rations, 
You go, great. How much are you going to get? And you're like, well, I'm gonna have maybe a week's worth. Sounds good. It's going to be 10 gold, five gold, whatever. All right. And then you give them those little chits and they put a little pouch and then they're shuffling that around. And I say that specifically in that format. I mean, yes, you could do poker chips, but to me, that's not, it's not the same. Like it would be, hey, uh, if you have, I don't know, arrows, you'd have little like toothpicks. You know, yeah, no, it, it's the yeah the the similarity component, the difference, the differentiator. Yeah, it's cool. Or if you do poker chips, you know, you put stickers on it with it with pictures or something. So you that could you do that. Sure, I'm just saying, just something to differentiate it instead of just color or size or something. You know, like that. if you're doing a sling, you could do stones, and everybody's got those. You know, what are the por- pat porcelain plastic little things that they sell for? I don't know what the hell. They, I think I've got a couple things of them, and I don't even know why I have them. I think the other. I like that. I like that idea of like physical things on the table. That might be if I, when I do this again, I think I'm going to pull that out because I think whatever format of the physical laying on the table, I think it'll add a level to the game. Like, Hey, you find something, there's this number of chips, there's this number of that. It's that, it's that cards that I'm building a stack of stuff. My reserves are so high. My reserves are so low. It's not just an abstract number on the, on the character sheet that says 20 arrows, 19 arrows. When you see the stack was chick down, chick down, chick down, chick down, you're like, oh, that's pretty low, boys. Let's get a little thin. It would All be right. hilarious. All right. All right, folks, let's uh let's go get a let's go get something. It would be hilarious for the archer in the game when they shoot their arrows, they like, Oh, okay, I'm gonna shoot my arrows and they're like I go, Okay, I shoot. I get two attacks, I get to shoot two arrows, and they take their toothpicks out, they throw them down on the table, right? Yeah. And then at the end, when they go to recover them, you, you roll. You break all the ones that are You no freaking break them. Snap you just them. take the toothpick and go, oh, looks like uh, 75%, no good. And you just go, click, snip, snip, snip and you just break them in half in front of them. Just so don't watch them cry. There's, oh. your, there's your arrows, and here's the ones that survived out in front of you. Exactly. Toothpicks, wow, right? Cruel. <laughs> I think the other, um, there is, the possibility does exist that you, as Game Master, um, if you're game mastering with a laptop behind the screen, or if that is your game screen, and you have a wonderful, cool spreadsheet, and I know some folks are very, Sean, I've talked about this. I'm not that. <laughs> I can't focus on that for Edwin's component up 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 top. You know, some people could be like, "Oh, you shot an arrow, tick tick tick." They mark them down for you. Some people, somebody somewhere, I'm positive, is more than savvy enough. The pace of their game is such, and the group likes this that the game master could honestly run a spreadsheet. Or one player could. You shot an arrow, tick, tick, tick. You use food, tick, tick, tick. I'm just saying, somebody somewhere, talking about people writing macros and so forth, you, I have played, I think I may have mentioned this before, back in the days of first edition, a a friend of mine was a former Marine, and he was talking about how they had, they would have super high-level characters and stuff, and you would have to roll, like, because fireballs, it was like D6 per level, You'd have 15, hmm. 18 D6, so just crazy numbers. And not everybody had that many D6 at the table, right? You'd be sitting down with your friends, and you show up with your couple sets of dice. That's a lot of Monopoly boxes, man. Yeah, it is. And you didn't, <laughs> you know, we weren't playing. Yeah, you, got, uh, you got Yahtzee? It's awesome. Oh, you got to go get the yeah. Yahtzee, man. You got at least, need like, my fireball s- dice. Yeah. <laughs> but you could run out, or you need, like, 8 D8s, and who the hell had, you know, or so many. So <laughs> they would, he went to, he wrote an algorithm that went through and just randomly generated results of those dice rolls. Hmm. And he then printed them out 
double-sided <laughs> at work, perforated them, put them in a binder, and then he as Game Master had it. So someone would say, I roll, okay, I cast that spell, tick, he would just check it off, you get 35, you get 36, you get 37, you get 2, you get whatever. Because it was faster than dicking around, rolling a whole bunch of dice. Even if they had the dice, it was just quicker to do it. It was random. The player didn't get to say, oh, I don't want to cast Fireball because I, I see the next roll is only a 10. They right. didn't get to do that, right? The Game Master had that list. Yeah. So that's another piece. When you talk about being prepared, is like, look, you have, and you mentioned this, when you have X number of the characters have their stuff, what do you have? It doesn't have to be a hardcore crazy spreadsheet. It could just be like days of food and water. It got a grid. One day, check, two, three, four. It doesn't take much to do it. And the game master could easily keep track of it. And one of the fun things that can come of a food and water scenario, especially when we're talking survival and so on, is that you could warn the players, if you don't ask me what your status of food and water is, I'm not going to tell you. Because <gasps> I have I have been camping, as I'm sure other people out there have, and somebody's like, oh, I thought we had more Snicker bars than that. <laughs> look, look to my son. Yes, counter. Oh, you ate ate um ate those, huh? Oh, nice, nice. That's good. That's good. That's just something stupid like Snicker bars. There's plenty of times, Sean. I'm sure. Uh, There's nothing Ar- stupid about Snickers bars. Just no, so. but I'm just saying, former army guy in the field, somebody somewhere, um, didn't pack enough. Didn't pay attention. Used pogey up bait, man. You didn't get enough pogey bait. That's what we call it. Pogey bait. You didn't. <laughs> I don't know. Po- pogey, po- and all the veterans are like, yeah, man, pogey bait. So if you go to the field, you take pogey bait, and you 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 take what you want, and then what happens is, you know, somebody else bought better shit than you, and you're like, whoa, wait a minute, hey, man, yeah. beanie weenies. You gonna eat all them beanie weenies? How many? Holy shit, you got a lot of beanie weenies, man. They were out of beanie weenies when I went there. I got some, I had some pop tarts. Got some pop tarts. Give me some beanie weenies. I give you two pop. I give you like two packs of pop tarts for some beanie weenies. But you know what I'm saying is somebody somewhere doesn't keep track of their shit. In a group of players, uh, characters, I should say, or even players in this case. And this is kind of the meta gaming piece, right? Is you're telling the players like, look, we're this is kind of a meta game, a game within a game. It's like, look, if you as the players don't tell me your characters are checking your food supply, checking your water supply, and so forth. The other thing that allows us to do, we talked about this last session, is if the game master has the chart. And he rolls a random encounter at night, and he gets rats, or he gets chipmunks, or he gets raccoons. <gasps> and the players get up, they clean their stuff up, bit of mess, uh, whatever, okay, deal with it. Or sometimes somebody steals the food, depending where you're at. Monkey comes in, monkey takes the ration and leaves. Some other smart critter comes in, a fake creature comes in, and takes, and takes half your water. Why? Because it's a fucking fake creature, and they're assholes. It steals the water. You could be ticking this. You could be doing damage, quote unquote, ticking things off the list. The number of uses the players may not recognize if they don't have their characters go back and check. So that could be another cool format, right? Where having the physical stacks in front of you, I think, is pretty cool. Um, It adds a little more extra to the game as opposed to which is one of the things I like about the uh, the black hack idea of a die sitting at your character sheet and then changing the die. It's a physical reminder of what's going on. Um, but having kind of the hidden list, and there could be an argument where you put a mark on there that says, look, when they're at half, the pack is noticeably lighter. When you're at a quarter, the pack is way lighter, right? If anybody's humped a whole bunch of gear around before at a certain point, 
walking out of the bush is a hell of a lot lighter than going into the bush usually because you're way down on food. Food is heavy. It's bulky as shit. No matter how tight and how freeze-dried you get it. Anyway, so that's just another aspect, another thing you could do that I think could be kind of fun. Players have to get in on it. And again, that's getting to more of a buckety level than it is the individual one arrow, one food, 16 chicken legs, five French fries. Doo -doo -doo. You could get crazy anal on this stuff. I think there's a sweet spot to it because the what we're trying to do is have an environment, a story, a game that's about survival and impacts and so on. And it shouldn't, at least for me anyway, it wouldn't be all about how many, you know, three fletched arrows do I have compared to the four fletched arrows? I really don't give a shit, you know? That makes sense? It does. And I think part of that too is going back to, to the game master, maybe. So even on the other end of them not keeping track of that stuff and having the game master just really kind of wing it, then you have to have buy-ins from the players that, hey, you, you, you thought you had three canteens of water. Now you're down to like half of a canteen. Yeah, because there's a hole in one. You punctured yeah. it. Hole in one. Somebody stole it. Or, you know, I'm going to keep, even if they're not keeping track of that stuff, right? So maybe you're just playing a game like I am where I haven't established the, hey, yeah, keep track of your shit or, you know, that, otherwise you're going to have other decisions to make. But I think even just saying like, okay, Jeff, um, you've been out in Chult in the jungle for a month. And uh, you you're you got one day of water or two days you know you got to be a real realistic because then somebody's gonna go what did I know this like a week ago or three days ago right? you mean I have uh, no food I've been humping yeah. I've been humping a month worth of food so it's yeah. gone yeah, yeah yeah I wouldn't know this ahead of time so there's part of it though that you I think there is a component of that with game masters and I think most are pretty good like hey you are two days in you have half a day worth of food. Just letting you know, oh, okay, do you want to continue or do you want to go back? Oh, shit. You know, if you go back to what Todd and John mentioned in their in our listener feedback earlier, I mean, bad stuff happening. This goes right to your and my discussion just a little bit ago around, so there's a threat. What's the threat? Right. The threat is in the middle of the fight, you ruin some food. You crush the water bladder. Your camelback is punctured by the yeah. knife. Right. It doesn't cut you, but it cuts your backpack, which has your camelback in it. And now you look like you pissed yourself. But hey, guess what? Unless you're gonna suck the water out of the out of your sweaty BDUs, you'd have no water, kid. Ah, shit. I think the other way, from like a keeping track of things perspective, is you doing it that way, kind of bucketing again, but narratively speaking, and it still falls within the you only have about. Right. And when you're using words to describe it, that's where we as game masters get to bring out our like, well, you think you might, if you stretch it, you may be three days, but really no more than two. I mean, if you went short commons and double timed it, you get there, but really tired after three days. Oh, fuck. All right. We're going to push it. They're making a decision based on the narration you just gave them that they're going to push it. And they know if they get delayed or whatever... You can say, well, remember what I said, you have a, a point of stress, you're fatigued, whatever that mechanic is. Then you get to layer that sucker in there. And I think that type of um, tracking can be more attractive 
to people who don't want to have the individual spreadsheets and have the, the ticket counters, or even have that pre-sheet behind or the stack of whatever in front of them. But saying, okay, you have about a week. I think you still need to, at some way or, or another, you need to keep some concept of time. Uh, Gary Gygax believes yes. that's, yeah, that's the thing. Like, yeah. Well, no, what I can't. High Gygaxian. Yeah, I'll paraphrase. No campaign is, is of any good unless you've got a strict record of time. Right. Um, I What it comes down to is like it, it, that's survival. If I just read that actually in the DMG, in the first ed DMG, and it's kind of in context, in, in the context of keeping track of the stuff. Yeah. Because you've got all this shit and you've got to take care of it in some way. So I think if nothing else, having the calendar that say you've slept four nights, you've slept three nights, keep track of that at a minimum, at least as game master, which isn't all that hard to do. Nights, one, two, three, four, five. And how many days to get to the ship? How many days to get to the desert island? Whatever it is. And you can say, look, guys, you know, it was supposed to be seven days, but you've dicked around and you got lost, waylaid, and that uh, pack of Wookiees that kicked your ass and uh, took half your food. Yeah, you're pretty short now. Ah, oh, Christ. Yeah, you're right. If you wait to the last second, like you said, Sean, it's too late. Oh, you're out of food now. That's a dick move. Don't yeah. do that. Yeah. It's getting short. It's getting short. You're out of food. You asshole. I told you <laughs> for the last three sessions you were getting low on food. So I think that's that may be kind of the, uh, the not necessarily easiest, but something me uh, it's a less bookkeepy format of it, and I like the other piece of all this. I'm going to run a little long here, so I'll keep it a little bit. Just try to keep it short if I can. But I like the idea of those those narrative things happening, the bad stuff occurring, whatever happens, something happens to you. So, D and D terms, he hits you with a critical. The desert orc leaps out, hits you critical damage. You only take eight points of damage, but he cuts your water bladder and the water goes on the ground. Fuck. Suddenly the character's like, could you just take hit points? <laughs> you, know, you know, that's a, you, that's a thing you just, I don't... Could yeah, you just I take some hit points off me, kids? I could, I could, you, I got 20 of those. I'm, I think I'm down, to, down to my last water. You yeah, I, I think that's a thing we don't do enough. Like, okay, I'm not... You know what? I'm going to do my damnedest in this three-session campaign or the next three sessions not to inflict a single point of, hit, of damage. But I am going to make a, their lives miserable. That's yeah. my usual campaign style, man. Well, and, <laughs> yeah, that's good, right? Like, just it's just different. It's a difference, yeah. and I don't yeah. do it all. I, I'm joking. I don't do it all the time. But get it, into it, combat. You sm oh, You yeah. You take you you uh, the, the the bag baddie smashes down, and your shield's crushed. Like you don't take any damage. Nope. Shield. No more shield. There are old school days. There was Sunder and Breaking, yep. not older older school, I should say, Pathfinder, hey man, first Path, edition, where yeah, yeah. it had it. It's not old, but it's a game, the first edition version of that. There were other special moves and stuff. One of the things that I like to do in that regard, then we should probably, we're totally getting off track here. Yeah. But when I hit you, especially when it's going to kill you or take you down, I've started doing this more and more in my games to say, are you willing to give me something? And I'll let you yeah. stay up. <laughs> what? Yeah, no, I'm not telling you what. You're going to give me something. <laughs> well, it depends. All right, then you're going down because I don't have time to wait for that. All right, fine. Take something. Your sword shatters. Ah, shit. Yep, but you're still alive. <laughs> I have no weapon, asshole. Hey, but you're up. 
You can do something. You're still yeah. alive. You're still breathing. The beast hits you, tears your breastplate off. Son of a... You're alive. Look at the damage I did, dude. Look at these dice. See these dice? This killed you four times over. All right, I'll lose my plate mail. I'm just pissed. Yeah, I know. Hey. Yeah. I think it's worth still, doing. And still, if you're, there's still resources to some degree. Yeah, and if you're going to do that, um, I think that's where this type of thing with the food and water, if you're going to impact it in some way, that's another good narrative way to kind of mess with it. But I think, so we talked about a number of different ways to track it. You know, we alluded to, or I shouldn't say alluded to, we said specifically like the black hack, and we alluded to other games that have other mechanics out there. But there's like the physical stack of chips, chits, specialized tokens and stuff on the table. People can see it, cards. You can see the physical stuff that you're dwindling your resources. Um, secret list where everybody just kind of writes secret, right? Where everybody just writes it all down, tracks it. There has to be some good back and forth. At bare minimum, the game master and players should be keeping track of the number of days worth of food and, you know, a number of days gone, how much food and water you would have eaten. Um, the secret little list the DM keeps where you can do damage against that list where creatures and things destroy and whatnot. And uh, this other idea that we talked about here at the tail end, which I, I think is actually a little more fun. It's a little bit faster paced than it is checking lists all the time. But uh, I think all of those ideas have their place and a lot of it comes down to getting the buy-in. And I think having options at the table, let's say you don't have any specialized chips and everyone says, yeah, I want to keep a, my own personal spreadsheet. I think it'll be fun. To play accounting the game, you know, or some <laughs> people just what they want to do this, right? And then halfway through, like, God, this sucks. You can say, well, I could shift. We can keep the mode, right? The theme of the game, the theme of this adventure. But I'm going to do it this other way, this narrative way that we talked about the tail end. And people are like, oh, yeah, let's try that. I like the idea. I just don't like the execution of it. And I think that's, if nothing else, I think we can leave folks with the idea that if you're trying this thing, the way you're executing it, you or the players are not enjoying the execution mode. Take a break. Ask the players. We want to keep the theme, right? The theme is cool. Is there a better way to execute on this? And I think having that back and forth would be helpful. Instead of just shit-canning the whole campaign saying, oh, that campaign was stupid. He made us count all the arrows we used. <laughs> okay. Um, maybe there's a better way to do that. We can come up with something as a, as a crew. So anyway, if other people have better ideas, different ideas. Um, other mechanics that we know for a fact are really kick-ass, like um, from Black Hack and stuff. There's no reason you can't steal that son of a gun and throw it directly on top of any other game you're doing. So if there's good mechanics we should steal, let us know about that. Or if you've had good luck doing this, that, or the other thing with it, let us know. Yeah, let us know. Let's push on, man. All right, let's get into die roll. Die roll! Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery we want to bring to you. Got a four? We yeah, Black Hack, we'll put that in there, so go and check it out and, and buy that. Um, first one, this was somebody that, as a listener of the show, bringing uh, attention to some of the things that they're doing, so I'll just read what they sent me. Hey, boys, I don't know if you uh, all have this on your radar yet, but I wanted to bring the first entry of Dissident Whisper. Dis Dissident Whispers. Nice. Dis Dissident Whispers. Whisper, whisper, whisper. Whisper. To your attention. I'm a contributor and organizer with them, and we just had our first release via Tuesday Night Games. Folks behind Mothership. Nice. It's a giant collection of one-page adventures, and all the proceeds go to bail funds of Black Lives Matter protesters. We're hopefully going to raise a ton of money. Would be cool if it showed up on your die roll segment or wherever. I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thanks, guys. David Coslow. And we'll have a link to... 
wisp, dissident whispers uh, in the show notes. Very nice. Long time, long time fan. I have indeed gone back and worked my way forward. Ooh, that's a that's a hefty load of work there, bud. Hey. Very cool. Thank you, David. Uh, number two, the immaterial plane. I know some weird guy, sexy voice that's behind this website. Oh, I've heard about him. Is that that Serrano guy? Christian sexy voice. Boy, Serrano. Serrano. Nice. We've brought up, I think, this specifically, but he is like all in on this now. A game design studio specializing in supplements for Savage Worlds, role-playing game. He's a big Savage Worlds geek. Um, and his their products focus on elegant designs that inspire fantastic role-playing experiences. So if you like Eberron... And you want to just, eh, d and is cool, but Eberron just doesn't feel like it fits. He's he's ported Eberron into Savage Worlds, and you can find all that info over on yes. the Immaterial Plane. And, and some Kirsten's of the other just an all-around cool dude. So oh, if, he, if yeah, this is a project man. he's into, that means he's throwing all of his passion at it. This is going to be top-notch stuff. So very cool. Good to see. And then the last one, Ma- how do you spell it? How do you say Malleus that? Ma- Monstrum. Malleus Monstrum, uh, which is yes. the Cthulhu Mythos Bestiary. It is now available in PDF. When it's released in print, it's going to be a two-book slipcase. Wow. <laughs> Brett. I'm at the club. Oh. Yeah, Brett, Brett's drooling all over his mic right now. God damn. So the PDF's like, no joke, it's like 40 bucks. Like, it's not yeah. a cheap PDF. Um, and then I think the re- I think the books come out in, is it October? I don't remember. I found it on Twitter. Um might say on their website. I don't know. I don't know. Good Lord. Yeah. But it is, it's going to be top notch. Chaosium is all behind that. So if you are called Cthulhu and not aware of this, you're welcome. Yes. Um, thank you. I was not aware. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. It's good stuff. So I can imagine that the, the end product's going to be really top notch. I don't know if I'll get it or not. I don't know. I'm not a big monster manual guy. I don't get all the, and besides Cthulhu, I mean, Shit, man, I just, whatever I want to come up with. It can be, yeah. There's <laughs> Unless you're playing with people that were like, oh, that's totally Yogg Sogoth or whatever. Oh, that, that's Yig. Oh, my God, that's yeah. Father of Serpents. What? what? Oh, that. Yeah. Oh no, that's Star Spawn's Cthulhu, you fool. Oh, sorry, my apologies. <laughs> but that's all we had. So next week, Brett, what are we talking about? We're talking about style, man. We're going to talk about that. Gaming style. Gaming style. I like it. That's a damn good, it's a damn good idea. So we're going to take that directly from Mr. Shorb and uh, roll it into a topic for next week. Because Brett has style. No, oh, well, Sean's got more style. You can uh, tell by the hair, usually. Usually. <laughs> hey, uh, thanks for everybody that's tuning in. If you want to see this live, we stream Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central Time on Twitch. Otherwise, we'll put this up on YouTube. Thanks for everybody subscribing to uh, the podcast and uh, tuning in live, actually. Uh, we appreciate it. Otherwise, I'm Sean. I'm Brett. Good night. Good game and all. This episode of Gaming NBS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Graham Miner, Corey Wynn, Ray Otis, Stefan Dragonspawn, Larry Haupt, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValle, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Old School DM, 
Perry Massore, Jim Fitzpatrick, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Niall Diamond, Howard Bishop, Eric Salzweedle, The Closet Gamer, Jeff Goad, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Old Scouser Roleplaying, Andy Hall, David F. Baylog, Harrigan, Melissa Bashinsky, Brian Rumble, Henry Newcomb, Eric Tavola, Roger Braslett, Mark Soam, Andy Hall, Erica Villa, Ron Blessing, Jeff Seifert, Mike Hess, Angus, Rory Weston, Curtis Hinson, Jim Ingram, Daniel Garrett, Eric Frankhouse Presents, Hoos Carl, Jason Weeb, $1 Adventure Frameworks, Jared Rasher, Phil McClory, George Sedgwick, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Jay Plata, Ghost GM, Ghost GM, Chad Glayman, Finolf, Josh Wallace, Adam Grotjohn, Mirko Froilich, Rich Wishon, and Joe Swick. Hey, if you like what you heard, let somebody know. Tell them to head over to gamingandbs.com forward slash subscribe or have them go to their podcatcher of choice. Do a search for Gaming and BS. Hit the subscribe button. We appreciate it, BSers. This, this has, has been, been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.